Hello. This is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Very. Here, you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. Hey there, Conscious Combat Soul. What, you? Yes, I'm talking to you. If you listen to this podcast, then you are a human being who loves combat and wants to be conscious about the way that you're doing it. You're interested in being more trauma-informed, more inclusive, and more ethical in the way that you teach and participate in martial arts and combat sports. And that's why I would like to invite you specifically to join our new group, the Conscious Combat Club. We're on Facebook, and there's an emailing newsletter that you can sign up for, the details for both of which are in the show notes here. But now, let's get to today's episode. All right, welcome to the Fight Back podcast. Everyone, I am here today with Sammy Lawler. She is a BJJ blue belt, she's a competitor, and she has a story today of survivorship. So I would love to put a trigger warning at the start of this episode if you need to take some space, if you need to listen to this with another person, or maybe just avoid listening if that doesn't feel safe for you, please do whatever's going to make you feel comfortable. Um, But with all that said, welcome to the show, Sammy. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm so excited to meet you. You are an absolutely inspirational woman. Um, But let's start a little bit more at the beginning. What got you into doing jujitsu? So I was kind of put into like taekwondo when I was five. So I did martial arts for all of my life. And then I started watching UFC with my dad. And I saw them kind of grappling on the floor. And I was, what is this? What is this? And he told me it was jujitsu. And I nagged him for so long, like, please let me go. Please let me go. I want to do jujitsu. And he finally, when I was 15, let me go to a lesson and I fell in love with it straight away. So, Amazing. yeah. <laughs> Were there many women training with you at the start? Because um, I was in the kids classes. Yeah, there were a few. Um, and then kind of the next year when I transitioned into the adult classes, no, <laughs> that it was mainly just me. Every now and then you'd get a woman. Um, but for the most part, it was very, very limited, mainly men. Totally. Has that sort of changed nowadays over there? Yeah, I think so. We've just started, um, I've just started running ladies only classes in my gym. So we're hoping to get some more ladies in, but we are starting to get more than they used to be, which I'm really happy about. (laughs) Yes, that is amazing. We'd love to hear that, especially post COVID. (laughs) Um, I have heard some gyms have had drop-offs in women too. So it's great that we're building up the women's communities nowadays. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Um, and I know you've been doing some competing. So did you like compete from the start or did you pluck up the courage after a while? What was that like? I'm quite a competitive person. So straight away, I was kind of like, oh, do, do we do competitions here? And I, you know, I did train for a bit, probably a couple of months before I went into my first competition. And I, I loved that again. And then from then on, I was just kind of competing as often as I could. Because I, yeah, I, just, I love the thrill of kind of going out and getting on the mats <laughs> yes you and I have a lot in common I think um, <laughs> starting with karate getting into jits and then being like yeah if I can compete I want to compete <laughs> definitely all right so let's talk a little bit more about some of your experiences that have been not so positive um so yeah. at what point did you experience a sexual assault um so it was 
over a year ago now it would it'll be two years soon um it was the beginning of my second year of university um so it's kind of coming out of covid but we were still in it if that makes sense yes um yeah so it's still kind of fresh I guess but we're we're getting there we're getting there (laughs) yeah and I think one of the things that I know you mentioned um on Instagram was about the freeze response and I think it's great to have you here with lived experience to share some of how normal that is um for listeners because I think there's definitely this perception that if you learn how to fight you're always going to be safe and the way that our our nervous systems step in to protect us they just don't work exactly like that all of the time sometimes your body makes an executive decision to say freeze is is going to be the go and that's what happened for you right yeah so because obviously because I've been doing martial arts since I was so little I hear all my life you know oh you're always going to be able to look after yourself no one's ever going to be able to hurt you you hear these comments constantly so then when it comes around to something actually happening and you don't do anything you do really beat yourself up about it and I've heard so many stories of people telling me the same that they kind of completely froze and they didn't do anything and they just completely blame themselves for it afterwards because they were like well I should have done something and I did nothing but it is I've I've come to learn that it is just so much more common than people would think definitely and what was the recovery process like for you did you reach out for professional help straight away or did that take you some time um so I kind of told a small group of friends immediately like Mm -hmm. literally the morning after it happened and they were amazing they got me um into a SARC clinic um so I kind of went and did all of that they got me into a bit of counseling kind of a charity counseling so I only got a handful of sessions and then after that I kind of stopped with trying I tried to get kind of more professional help but there was just the waiting lists and because of COVID as well I couldn't Mm -hmm. actively go into the doctors so I was getting like five minute conversations on the phone and then they diagnose me with something and then that would be it and it was it was a pain especially because of covid so I ended up kind of calling it quits with with all of that for a while totally totally yeah we're seeing that really around the world the mental health care system is just so so burdened so yeah for yeah. you I'm curious like if people are, are listening who might be in similar situations what were some of the things that you did um, in addition to having a social support network that helped you recover um so I I don't really know actually um you know obviously the counseling sessions they kind of they gave me a couple of like techniques so I started kind of um because at first I really struggled to be alone mm-hmm. um it was just something I couldn't do so I tried to find different things that I could keep myself busy whilst I was alone. So I started like scrapbooking, mm-hmm. um, which I did really enjoy. So because I, I was so focused on that. And then you're looking at all of these positive memories you've got, like all of these photos. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of, just, yeah, reliving those instead when you're kind of alone. Um, I bought a burn book as well, which is kind of, it asks you lots of different questions throughout the book about different things and you just write your honest answers and at the end of it you burn the book so there's no kind of memories of so yeah I kind of tried to do more creative things by myself in my room which I definitely did think helped as well. Mm. If somebody wants to get a burn book do they just google burn book and will they then be able to find one? I think so yeah that's all I googled because I, I saw it on TikTok and I was like oh that's a really good idea actually and I, I just googled it yeah there's like loads on Amazon and stuff so yeah, yeah. I think they're pretty easy to find. <laughs> cool cool my initial thought was like you know on Mean Girls the burn book that they have and I yeah. was like 
Yeah, I'm just just, <laughs> just um, no, no, no. That sounds really cool. We'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes for if anyone is interested in getting one. Um, then let's talk about the jujitsu side of things. How was it for you getting back into training? Yeah, so um, I didn't tell kind of anyone from like home for a mm-hmm. good few months, especially I didn't tell my parents. I didn't because I just how do you tell someone you know it was it was a very difficult thing um and then after I told my parents about it after a couple of weeks I, I told them I was I'm not going back to jiu-jitsu I, I can't do it and they said you know I think you need to speak to your coach um because I, I have a very good relationship with my coach anyway I, he was always someone that I could speak to um so I did drop him a message and I said like look not a very fun topic for you today but and I kind of explained what had happened and I said that I just don't feel like I can get into jiu-jitsu and he, he was lovely about it. He um, found there's a female, a girl that trains there that I was, um, she was kind of my training partner. So he, with my permission, spoke to her about things and set up some kind of one-to-one sessions with just him and her. So I didn't even train with him for the first couple of sessions. Um, and I did that over the Christmas period. Um, and then kind of when I went back to uni, I, I quit again because, you know, I, I kind of just made excuses for myself. I'd always at uni, I... I would always go home to train like I never there was no excuses I would always go um but I just kept making excuses for myself and the longer I left it the harder it got Mm. so it did take me you know months months and months before I kind of finally went back and that was more of a do you know what you you have you've got to go back you know you you love this too much you can't not you can't quit so it, it did take me a while to kind of go back especially because there was we were in and out of lockdown some of the times as well. So mm. it was just really hard to get back into it, I think. Um, but I'm, I'm very glad I did. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And what was it like going back to classes? What were some of the things that you kind of wish you knew now? Um, well, I think, like, I was under the impression I could really just throw myself back in, which is just not the case. Um and it's, I think the crazy thing was there were certain triggers that I didn't know I had until I kind of went and trained. And um, I would really beat myself up over, you know, I used to panic tap a lot. Someone would get a mountain on me and I would just tap. Mm-hmm. And I would really beat myself up over it because I was like, come on, <laughs> you're a blue belt. You shouldn't be tapping over mount. And um, yeah, but I was quite, I've got a few people in the gym that I'm very close with and I do really trust. And even though they didn't know at the time, they helped me more than they realized because I would, I, I would constantly go and grab them and partner up with them and spar with them if I couldn't, if I didn't feel like I could spar with the people, which I think was really, really helpful for me. Yeah, totally. Like having that support network again sounds like something that you yeah. did really well in, in both situations, your immediate friends and then, you know, your jujitsu family. Yeah, of course. I think that's kind of, I think without that, I don't know how far I would have gone in jujitsu. I probably would have ended up like quitting. I genuinely think I would have. Yeah. And for any coaches that might be listening. So your coach, of course, was like quite understanding, um, like sounds like didn't blame you or, you know, um, dismiss you and then um, set up one on one on one sessions with a female training partner. Are there any other things that your coach did that other coaches could emulate in a similar situation? I think just being understanding and listening um, and just kind of you know, if you're an approachable coach, then people are going to feel like they can speak to you about that. And um, 
you know sometime you know my coach would kind of ask he asks me what do I need he doesn't say oh well I think you should do this he, mm-hmm. he says what do you want from me which I think really helps as well because I feel like then I can just tell him straight up look I want this is how I need to be in this lesson or this is how I feel right now and I don't feel like I'm going to go to him and he's going to give me advice because that's something I really hate when I go to someone that doesn't really fully understand what's going on and they're kind of like well I think you should do this and I think you should do this and that and yeah so I think just ask them how they feel and how what they want and just listen to them is probably the best bet yeah awesome and nowadays you've gotten back into competing is that right I have yeah (laughs) tell us about how it was getting back to to that obviously much higher intensity level of of training slash competing yeah so um my first competition because I was you know I I love competing and I did say after a while I was I really want to compete again um the first kind of competition back that I did was a bit of shambles (laughs) I went and I kind of lost very quickly on the mats but um I think that in itself just getting out there and getting on the mats was a win for me that day that's all I kind of wanted to achieve and that has that was what I said to my coach as well um no one else in my team knew at the time either so kind of no one really understood how much of a win that was for me and then I you know I did really want to do Euros because that was when I saw that Euros was happening and it was going to be in Italy and I saw that that was the first time I'd felt like really an overwhelming sense of just excitement since what had happened to me so as soon as I felt that I was like oh, I have to go um and we ended up telling some of the guys that I was going to be going with just so I had a bit of extra support and I think that is what kind of gave me the push that I needed to kind of you know do well at Euros and stick with it um and I actually competed on Saturday as well and um yeah, that was, that was amazing. Cause so I lost my first two fights and I was, you know, really disappointed. And that final fight, um, I won it and all of my team were there and they were all kind of just cheering for me, walked off the mats and they were crying and hugging me and just telling me how proud they were of me. And I think that moment there just made everything worth it for me. Just that support that I have, just how much they all like love and care for me and want me to do well just made it's better than any gold medal I could ever ask for really yes totally really gets to the heart of how like jiu-jitsu and, and all combat sports really they're not officially team sports but they're totally team sports yeah 100% um I want to ask you then the question that of course I ask everyone on this podcast which is why do you think it is that people often say jiu-jitsu saved me jiu-jitsu saved my life which they can sometimes mean as literally saved or sometimes they mean as changed yeah so um well for me it is the the family that I've made you know I loved jiu-jitsu anyway before I'd even kind of made friends and it took me a while to make friends because I'm quite shy I'm I'm very very quiet until you get to know me um and then I'm not (laughs) yeah at first I'm I'm very kind of quiet keep myself to myself so it did take me a while, but now I've kind of like got this this team around me that I absolutely love to bits and makes jiu-jitsu so much fun for me. And I feel like anytime I go, I just my I just forget about everything. Um, all of my problems kind of go away. You know, in terms of what's happened to me, there are obviously days where that's not the case. But um, yeah, I just it in that sense it did kind of save me because I had this support network that I wouldn't have had if I didn't have jiu-jitsu 
and I am just so thankful for that it gave me a lot more confidence as well so yeah I, I'm so thankful <laughs> I've got jiu-jitsu really totally totally the confidence thing comes up a lot that's probably one of the, the confidence and the community are the two most common things that I think tend to come up um, and they're yeah. reflections of good schools as well too like if you've got great yes. coaches and great people around you then it those are kind of the obvious next step or the obvious byproducts of that training environment yeah um I'm curious if you have any thoughts you might not and that's okay but I think what we're seeing in jiu-jitsu at the moment is quite a what I feel like is a turning point in in its explosion in terms of being a really popular sport but also it not really having a lot of rules um, and regulations by a governing body. We see like the IBJJF being a commercial entity, um, which for anyone who's not familiar with jujitsu, essentially there are organizations, but they're commercial. So they run competitions and they are the governing body in that respect, but you can't report someone to them for say sexual misconduct. And it's a huge problem that's coming out at the moment in in the community where we're seeing multiple stories in different countries where coaches have been unethical and we don't really have a board. So I'm, I'm curious after your experiences and having had so many positive experiences, if you could be on the board of advisors saying this is what we would need if we were to make a, a not-for-profit jujitsu board, what were some of the recommendations that you would make to them? I think people need to be, you know, that have done stuff need to be banned. I just don't think they should be allowed to, you know, especially not coaching, especially in gyms with women and children. You know, um, I I think it's it, it really infuriates me when I see these posts everywhere. You know, um, I remember I know he didn't compete in the end, but I know you, you do. I'm, I'm assuming you've heard about the whole Jackson Souza and everything. Yeah, I have, but explain for people. So, yeah, he um, there were lots of stories that came out and he, you know, is a sexual predator. And many, many women came forward with um, their stories. And I think they're so brave for that. Um, mm -hmm. Really incredibly brave. Um, and I just don't feel like enough was done about it. And I saw as well that he had signed himself up for the Euros that year. And instantly it made me not want to go, you know, because I didn't want to be anywhere near someone that was like that. Um, I don't think he didn't compete in the end he didn't show up but I think you know they want they want money they'll you know if someone signs up signs up and pays then they get in and I, I just think that's wrong you know yeah absolutely it's the whole problem with it being a commercial entity where their their main purpose is of course to make money um it's not yeah. to look after the benefit of the sport which is in its own way you know, even if you just thought about it from a money perspective, which of course there's so many more things to it than that, but you really mm. reduce the amount of people who want to compete or who will stick in jujitsu if you do that. Like short term, maybe you make some extra sales and you can sell some extra um, instructionals and blah, blah, blah. But um, in the long term for the sport, you know, for becoming an Olympic sport, but even just the people who want to stay in the sport, it's not a very good financial decision. It's not a very good business decision having people like no that. not at all I, I completely agree it's yeah I think it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah it's it's hopefully this is the beginning of a a change uh, but I yeah. I would be quite surprised if it actually is to be honest or at the very least I think it's going to take a little while yeah no I, I agree 
And is there anything that you would like to share for other women or any other survivors who maybe hear your story and feel like there's some similarities um, or maybe just if there are any specific messages that you would like to deliver? Um, I think the thing that I've learned a lot is that um, it isn't the end. You know, at first when it happens to you, you just, you just feel like your whole life is just turned upside down and it, it did. Um, but there is, a, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel, as people say, mm-hmm. it isn't going to, you're not going to feel that way forever, you know, and again, healing isn't linear, you know, there's times where I feel like I'm back at square one, and I feel like exactly how I did over a year ago, and I get mad at myself for it, and just, you, you can't get mad at yourself, because it's, it's normal, and, you know, anyone that feels that way, and anyone that's been through something similar will experience this, um and I think it's so important to have a support network you know to tell someone you know my guys have been incredible you know the other like just the other day I was really struggling I didn't want to come in and train and I messaged them and one of them straight up said well you know partner up with me and I partnered up with him in the lesson I only sparred with a few of the guys that I trusted that day and I'm glad that I went in the end. So I think it's just so important to have people. I know it's sometimes it's so hard to talk about it and some people don't want to. But for me personally, that's kind of what really, really helped me move forward and kind of begin my healing process. Yeah, I think it's great advice. And of course, it's not going to be a one size fits all, but it's really, really helpful for other people to listen to you and say, okay, like, since that's helped her, maybe then that's what's going to help me rather than everyone just kind of feeling like we're, we're in the dark and that we're alone because, you know, you're absolutely not alone and there is support there. And I think, like, I will speak for, for myself, but certainly, like, if, if people are listening and they this episode really resonates and they want to reach out, they can reach out to me. Um, I don't know if you're available on Instagram to talk as well. 100%, yeah, you can reach out to me. Anyone can. We'll put in the show notes here um, your Instagram, unless there's any other places that are great to reach you. Instagram's probably my main one, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Um, so we'll drop that in the show notes and then if people can reach out to you, they can chat to you. This has been quite a short but sweet episode and I'm, I'm so grateful, like I said at the start, for you coming on, for your incredible bravery and sharing your story. I know this episode is going to benefit a lot of other people. So thank you so much for coming on, Semi. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Have you thought of something to be grateful for today? What was it? I'm grateful for the amazing women that train with me at the Fight Back Project. I'm grateful for Nari and the beautiful song Shape Me heard at the beginning and end of every episode. And I'm grateful for you for listening to this show and helping martial arts keep saving lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to leave me a review to help more people find the show, that's a bonus. You need to know that nobody shapes me but me. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it. Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous. I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless. Half in nothing, no complacence. 
walk to Many tight ropes with no hope So I became this poster they hold over All the heads of trauma holders You don't need to know my history I move boulders, Atlas shrug Cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers This goes deeper than empowerment Cause huh, I'm the one that power it Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience, meets power, meets gracious. Meets. We're so glad you came in, the feeling is contagious When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions When you the manifesting of collecting all they tensions You the soul and body hold it all and still remember But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders Forgot what it was like to have control over self Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge Forgot in my reflection I could see all my wealth Forgot that with my bare hands I break all these bars Barriers and obstacles They can't cage me They can't chronicle all my experiences And reduce them to appearances When I was truly beaten Gave myself clearances to fall down Mess up and get myself back up I'm not looking for clovers Cause I don't believe in luck Damn you were badass I heard them say it clearly Why thank you very much I know now I'm not weary Of what's next for me Cause I expect to see Growth like I was planted Watered, fed, and bloomed to be The positivity and accountability Knowing they won't step If I'm the agent of my agency I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin. Boundaries, I know them well. Take a breath and meditate. Who is she? I know her well. Now I get to open gates. One, two, one, two. I don't need your permission. And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition to know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing. And everything I do, that's me making decisions. It's truly underrated, the value of self-worth. Forget that I was rich from the moment of my birth. A penny for my thoughts, no really. You can't afford it, you cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh? Oh. 